Hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing Tar and All Quiet on the Western Front. I'm your host, Bill George. With me, as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer Craig Stanton. Hey, dudes. What's going on, Bill? Not much, AJ. How are you? Uh, I'm good. A tad jet lagged in between trips. I was in San Francisco last week for Ooh. work and I will be in Berlin uh, next week for work. Uh, Deutsch, Deutschland. Such a lo- lovely part of New Hampshire, that is. Berlin, New Hampshire? No, no. I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I heard Berlin was a crazy cool city, uh, like art wise, food wise. Sure, uh, sure. Like underground, like leather daddy uh discotheques too so maybe sure maybe i'll just stumble yeah. into like a an abandoned warehouse with like people dancing on like dis- disassembled missiles from the cold yeah, war well, <laughs> uh friend friend of the podcast krista went to berlin for the first time and she was telling me she loved it she was raving about it really pun intended love that Love that. <laughs> uh, didn't mention any of the BDSM though, so I don't know about that side of it. Yeah, That's, I feel like you get that out on your own. Yeah, you, gotta, you, you don't. You either look for that or you stumble into that. Sure. Um, either way, you don't discuss yeah. it. <laughs> How is the uh, Bay Area? It's fucking awful. Uh, I oh, live okay. there. For those of the podcast uh, who might not know or do know, I lived there for a little bit uh, in the early 2010s, um, and it was still. I mean, it was like the tech boom was there, right? Like the the new wave tech boom, not like the Apple and the Google boom, but like, you know, Twitter, uh, Yelp, everyone was based in the Bay Area. I came back, it's been six years, and my God, is it just full of just awful fucking people, man. Really? Awful people. Dude, like everyone's driving a scooter and they got their AirPods in, they're just yelling and there's just like, it's just like fake, mo- it just seems like a fake, weird city. I feel like, the hate Ashbury weirdness of San Francisco that it was based off of, like our idea of like the Bay Area, no longer exists. It's tech bros in Patagonias with bad fucking haircuts, and everyone's loud. Phony, sounds like a lot of phonies out there. It's phony. It's phony. Yeah. And I thought, I thought Manhattan was phony. That, no, like Manhattan is like New York is real. Like you're gonna see some shit. Like you're gonna see like a fucking kid fight a pigeon. Like. In San Francisco, you're you're gonna see like you know some guy trying to put like you know mechanical wings on a pigeon and then pay somebody to fly sell it, it. Yeah. to you for yeah nine ninety nine a month. So it's it's the Uber of pigeons though. Exactly, so. it's the Netflix of pigeons. <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, great. Uh, but I get to watch a whole bunch of stuff on the plane. Yep, um, love that. I watched a couple things as well lately. All right. Let's go with you. Sure. So for Halloween, in honor of Old Hallow's Eve, I watched the Hellraiser reboot on Hulu. Ah. So it's a new version of Hellraiser. Full disclosure, never seen Hellraiser before, so this was my first uh, foray into it. That's the one where you look in the mirror and you say, like, needle dick three times, and then a guy with a face with needles pops out? (laughs) Uh, You're close. It does have Pinhead. Although Ah, in this new version, version, it's a uh, female Pinhead, so that was a twist. Oh, uh, I will say, if I were to give it a, a Sigsy rating, it's a no. Uh, it's it's competently made. It's it looks good for sure, and it, thematically, it's kind of interesting. You know, we always talk about every monster is a metaphor, and in this movie, is very much about addiction. And so they, they do some in- interesting things with that from a storytelling perspective. But it's long. It's like two hours, and like 
about like 45 minutes in, I'm like, are we going to raise some hell or what are we doing here? Like the pacing is just a little slow. And it also is just too graphic, like too gory to broadly recommend to general audiences. Like it is over the top. I mean, that's obviously the purpose of it. If you're into those movies, that's fine. But there's not enough strengths otherwise to tell people like it's worth suffering through the gore for it. Um, for me, it was it was not. So well done, well made, but just not for me. Yeah, I have no, I have no, I always thought it was like, like a ironic gag movie. Like I thought it was just like, it was a horror movie, but there was nothing like crazy about it. I had no idea it was like over the top gory or graphic. I I think that it has become sort of a punchline because like the pinhead imagery has become so iconic. But I mean, this movie at least uh, took it very seriously. Oh, wow. Uh, okay. But yeah. What did uh, what'd you watch? You watched a couple things on the plane you said? I did. I watched uh, Bodies, 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 and I watched uh, Bullet Train. Uh, both got yeses from me. I loved them. What do you think? I agree with your yeses wholeheartedly. Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was one of uh, the funniest and craziest movies of the last, like, I don't know, 10 years I've watched. When people, when Hannah asked me about it and I said, take if thoroughbreds and cabin in the wood mashed together and had a baby is like how I can like thematically explain this movie. And it's over the top. It's gory, but it's hilarious. And they say some really clever things about like today's youth and Gen X. Uh, You talked about in the review and on the podcast about the way that people talk in the movie just seems like how people talk. And I couldn't agree more. Like there was never a point where I was like, no one talks like that. Or why would that person say that? It seemed really grounded uh, in sort of like a reality while being the furthest thing from reality possible. And the way that they can play off each other and know exactly what it is was amazing. So, Bill, good call. If you haven't seen Bodies, 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 it's like an hour and a half. Rent it. It's great. Uh, Bullet Train was. Can I ask a quick question about Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? Why do you, before you get to bullet train? Why do you think, or why do we collectively think that they didn't put it like it came out in August? Why do you think they didn't just wait a few months and do it as like a Halloween movie? It's it, it's like a horror. It's like a faux horror movie. No, uh, it's it's yeah. more a thriller. I kind of. I don't think it fits a particular categorization, which is part of why it felt so fresh. And I'm guessing they didn't want to go up against the like the pure horror movies that will get everybody in the theaters in October, like Michael yeah, Myers sure, sure, and what sure. have you. But to your point, they probably could have marketed it during October just as could. well. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. Good question. And then I watched a uh, Bullet Train, Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt movie about uh, like a, an assassin who's got like a one last job type situation. Uh hilarious i told you i had a smirk on my face the entire time it's long it is super long uh and is hyper violent and hyper stylized so you just have to be a person that likes those kind of like hyper stylized movies like think of like a like a guy Ritchie or like a kill bill style like things where there's like flashbacks and title cards and the way the music plays into it um you can tell that i don't know who directed it uh but they pulled a whole bunch of um almost Easter eggy, but like, you know, they stylistically they pulled from a whole bunch of different things. I liked it. Shit's long, man. Like that is a plain movie uh, for a West Coast trip through and through. Yeah, it's I believe it was directed by the same director as John Wick, if I remember correctly. And there's definitely a lot of homages to to movies that I'm sure influence him. 
And yeah, if they could cut like 15 minutes out of that third act, um, it would have been like a perfect movie. But they they definitely drag out the the climax. Yeah, the only the only kind of knock I had, and I told you about this, is that Brad Pitt's character in the movie is very similar to his character in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I just I hope he doesn't get stuck in this thing of like a slightly goofy but still smart, like very outward, like an empath that like is trying to do the right thing in the world, but like can also like flip a switch to like kill people. Yeah, like it was yeah. very very feel like the director was like hey play the guy from once upon a time in hollywood but just be a little bit more emotional about it and he was like i right. got you um, yeah 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 so but other than that really good movie good rental um i dug it yeah, i enjoyed it for sure uh and then we have on our list here a couple of rewatches you and i both did as well sort of reevaluations. i know you rewatched sicario bill this might be one of my top 10 favorite films of all time yeah really i'm, I'm of I'm, all time. It, I'm putting it on the goddamn list. <laughs> okay. Sell me on it. I mean, I love you don't have to sell me on it. I love Scario, but sell sell the audience on it. It might be a perfect goddamn movie from the way it was shot, directed, uh cinematography, the sound, everything is great. There's only one problem I have with this film. Okay. As someone who's an ex-smoker, you know when someone's a smoker by the way how they smoke a cigarette. Okay. This I is did weird. not know that, but go this on. This is where you can just tell. Educate me. Emily Blunt's character, like at the f- halfway point of uh, Act One, is like, "I'm gonna get into smoking again because I just I've seen some shit." Right. <laughs> yep. The way she smokes is not how someone smokes a cigarette. And like, there's scenes where like there's a lot of really good dialogue around her while she's smoking, and you're just like. Just like pick up a pack six months before it starts shooting. Just fucking learn how to fire those daggers down. Like once you get into it, you're gonna love it, Emily. But like, just you're getting paid to have a little bit of like a little bit of potential like harm to your body. But like, just do it. See, I never, I would, I would never bump on that in a million years because I've never smoked and I don't, I don't usually. I'm not usually around people smoking. Yeah. Besides in the movies, I feel this. I feel this way about movies with uh, people playing guitar. Okay. Uh, and it's like you can it's painful to me to see like a faux faux guitar playing like movie performance it just makes me want to kill myself see my equivalent to that is when i see people play video games and they're just I, you can't see this on the podcast but they're just like just jamming the, every button every stick like there's no fluidity to what they're doing they're just like pretending to play video games it drives me nuts we all got our thing apparently and uh AJ's is hucking darts. That's true. That's true. God damn it. That scene where they where uh, Benicio Del Toro saves her from Barenthal and then he throws him in the back of the, 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 the squad car and they start like interrogating him. Ugh, there's just so many good points in that movie. It's a great film. That's okay. a great film. What do you what uh, what do you rewatch? I went back to Elysium uh, or Elysium, depending on how you want to pronounce it, directed by uh, Neil Blomkamp. Is from a while ago with uh, Matt Damon. Oh, uh, was that in the the District Eight universe? Not in the same universe, but definitely same style. And, okay. Uh, District Nine. It's District uh, Nine. I'm sorry. That's it. And so that popped up on Netflix, and I was like, you know, it's been a while. I'm gonna watch this. I'll be honest. I fast forwarded some parts of it, like it's not the best movie in the world. Um, and it would definitely be better if the actors were unknowns because I was watching the movie, and Damon just feels completely out of place. Like I get that they need him on the poster, and it puts people in seats but like he was not great and jodie foster is like legitimately bad like paycheck movie beginning to end 
Um, and the writing is like at a fifth grade reading level. Like it is over the top with its themes and the universal healthcare elements of it. So like, it's not the best. But the reason I want to bring it up is for a 10-year-old movie, the effects hold up incredibly well. Like you oh, could wow. put this in theaters today and I don't think anyone would bat an eye at the effects, especially in the stuff in space. The movie's production designed out of its mind. Elysium looks incredible. I mean, his specialty as a director is integrating effects into real-world footage, which we saw in District 9 and in, Cha- in, in Chappie as well. Um, and in this movie, he does a really great job as well. So the effects were like really what sold me. The action sequences were great. So it was worth rewatching those parts, but I fast-forwarded most of the dialogue. So not really a true rewatch, but if you never came across it... Um, might be worth it for a first-time watch for somebody who's into into sci-fi. It's quick too. If I remember, it's like what, like an hour and a half, hour forty-five. Like, it's, yeah, it can't be more than an hour and forty-five. Yeah, and the you're right. One of the things that I loved about District Nine was the ability to implement CGI in a way that was natural with like camera movements, like the way that pans and depth of field were integrated so well with like the way the characters move interacted. Like, it just he does a really good job with it. So yeah, for I think sure, it's a really good call up for sure. All right, Jay, what's uh, what's in the news? Oh, do I have a fucking doozy for you? All right. Uh, ready? Ready. The AV Club recently posted their list of the 50 best HBO shows of all time. Their top three ended up being The Wire and First, then The Sopranos, and then Succession. Bill, do you agree with AV Club? And what's your list? So, I, I Succession and Sopranos being in top three for sure. I need to admit a cultural blind spot I have, which is I have never seen The Wire. I understand that it is uh, often referred to as the best show in television history. I get that. I've tried watching the pilot twice and fallen asleep both times, which is on me. That's just a bad, you know, uh, setting to go into a movie if you're or a TV show if you're tired. But I haven't seen it, so it's really hard for me to list that at the top for me. Um, I would say for me. Succession would be up there. Season one of True Detective would be up there. Seasons one through six of Thrones would probably be number one if you were to just look at seasons one through six. Can't do that, though. I know. I know. We can't do that. So your the first few things I'm going to have to call bullshit because you can't do it by season. All right. Okay, fine. Uh, six Feet Under would be up there for me. Chernobyl, if we're counting miniseries, which they did in on the AV Club. I'll allow it. Uh, Leftovers would be on my list. Band of Brothers would be on my list. Um, those are those are the ones that stand out. Honorable mention, though, one thing I want to bring up, I want to take you back to the fall of 2001, where HBO had the best lineup in television history. I'll never forget it. Sunday nights throughout 2001 were Curb Your Enthusiasm, Mind of the Married Man, which was like a half-hour comedy. It was like a one-season wonder. Okay. Sopranos, and then Band of Brothers, when that was airing for the first time. And I remember Jeez. those Sunday nights were just like the highlight of my life at the time and probably still today. Uh, but what about you? What's what's uh, what's your top list? So there's I have the same cultural blind spot that you have. So I've I've never seen The Wire. Right. I've also never seen Deadwood and I've never seen Rome. And I feel like those have always been like the like the flagship almost like pinnacle of hbo series that everyone has always raved that i just never have deadwood was deadwood's on my list as well like my second tier list i haven't seen rome girls was the other thing on my second tier list and leftovers uh yeah so 
I agree with the leftovers. That's one of the best shows that has ever been created. And I, 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 I haven't seen the wire, so I can't say why it wasn't sub substituted out, but this, the leftovers, if you haven't watched it, you need to watch it because it's probably one of the smartest shows that have ever been written and the most emotional shows. So I, I got to give it to that. Um, Silicon Valley from a comedy. It's, it's hard too, because you want to then separate it by like genre, right? Like comedy and you know, whatever. I will agree yeah, with the Sopranos. Right. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, if you could do it by seasons, I mean, season one of season one of True Detective is yeah, yep, a perfect, um, yep. a, a perfect television. It's perfect. There's nothing about it that I would change. Um, but going through the list on HBO's website now, man, there is a ton of shit that I completely um, had forgotten about. Um, and I can't believe they've been putting out original content like this for such a long time. I know, right? Well, Craig, I think you're the only one in this current room that has seen The Wire, right? Wrong. Oh, I thought you did for some reason. I thought we talked about this. My bad. They're 0 for 3 on The Wire. Okay. We got homework to do, clearly. Oh, I mean, like, Watchmen was fantastic. Um, yeah, true. I saw maybe one or two seasons of Veep, which was incredible. Oh, love so, Veep. like, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, there's just there's it, there's to a boil lot. It down to three. Holy shit, that's really that's really tough. Yeah, did not envy their task of making their top list. But uh, How, what what would you, you have paid to out. be in that room? <laughs> right to be yeah. part of that discussion. Oh, I wish, I wish. AV Club was uh, was the dream job. If there was an p- open position for j- uh, janitor at AV Club HQ, B- BG would be all about it. I would I would take it just to be there. He'd be mopping by, just like you know, going slowly past rooms and be like, "Oh, what are you guys talking about? Uh, you need me to clean up in here?" And then someone would write something on a whiteboard, like, "You're a fucking idiot." <laughs> All right, uh, all right. Next news item. We have another news story. Okay. Yeah, we got one more news item, and then we'll jump into some reviews. Sure. Uh, AJ. Yes. Uh, this is going to be. This is right up your alley. Two Disney Platinum annual pass holders have sued Disney Parks and Resorts in federal court claiming that the terms of their memberships were changed during COVID, but not changed back once the threat of the pandemic lessened. Okay. They also say reservations uh, open to single ticket buyers are listed as unavailable to them and that Disney skews its system for more profit because Disney would make more off of the single ticket buyer than the membership. Okay. Uh, Disney responded by saying they've been communicative of any changes. They've offered opt-out and refund options for customers. Uh, AJ, do you think these platinum members have a case? Walk me through this a little bit more in detail. So, like, th- there's a there's a platinum membership. Okay, what does that get you? <clears throat> My understanding is, you pay a flat rate per year or whatever it is, and that gets you into any of the parks and uh, X number of times. I don't know the specifics, uh, but what's happening is they're saying, a that membership changed. Before COVID, it was any of the parks. Now it's only certain parks during certain times. And when they go to book times online for reservations, they'll see times that say unavailable to them. But if they log out and they log and they go in as just like a normal person off the street, there are those times available. Almost like a blackout period. Right. And so they're suing Disney saying that they've changed the membership on them, etc. I will side partially with these people because if I'm play- paying for something called a platinum membership, I deserve 
creme de la creme treatment, right? There should be no blackout <laughs> periods. People should know me by name. They should park my car for me. Uh, lunch uh, or, or light snack should be provided once I pull into the parking lot. Like, you get a uh-huh. little bit of a country club treatment if you're paying fucking $40,000 a year to hang out with a guy with big, big ears, okay? <laughs> On the flip yeah, okay. side, fuck you. Like, fuck you. <laughs> like, if you're if, wow. if you're getting your 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 shit twisted over a membership to a kids theme park and you're an adult, like get your fucking like figure it out. Like your priorities are a little little messed up. I'm I'm gonna side uh, with the uh, House of Mouse on this one because they probably these people probably got a terms of service change email and just immediately deleted it. No one reads it. That's what we all do. Yep. So like that's on them. And if like you're throwing a hissy fit because you're not getting your way, just like the children that these people are. <laughs> Then they need to grow up and learn that life isn't fair and nothing lasts forever. Here's so and (laughs) to your point, to your point, because we use we I saw it when I worked retail and I saw it in a couple other places. You're telling me that the best goddamn corporate lawyers in the world didn't think about how they're going to communicate changes to TOCs. You think you're smarter than the best fucking lawyers in the world? And A, if you think that, no, you're an idiot. And B, like you said. It's been communicated. You just didn't fucking pay attention. If they like the benefits of the membership, keep it. If you don't, cancel it. Like, I don't care. But the fact that we're clogging up our dysfunctional federal court system with this is nonsense to me. Yeah. The the fact that the the federal court system is involved in a a lawsuit against an animated mouse. (laughs) Try to take me to jail, fuckers. Yeah. It's not happening. It's absurd. Absurd. uh, Yeah. Anyway, what are we doing? All right, uh, we're gonna be talking about two movies today: Tar, Yar, and All Quiet on the Western Front. Bill, what do you want to start with first? Let's start it. Let's go in order. Let's start with Tar. Tar with an accent mark on the A. Yeah, which begs the question: Correct. Where else would the accent be in this particular word? Is it? Is are you sure it's Tar? Or is it not like Tar? It's Tar. It's Tar. Okay. Um. Okay, according to IMDB.com, set in the international world of Western classical music, the film centers on Lydia Tarr, widely considered one of the greatest living composer, conductors, and first ever female music director of a major German orchestra. Da? Bill, (laughs) should I go see it? Yes, yes. A thousand times yes. Um, Okay, okay. What do we got? This is... Kate Blanchett uh, at her best, uh, brilliant performance as usual. Best thing she's done since Blue Jasmine. Whoa! She is, I, she is in every frame of the movie. This movie does not exist without her, and she absolutely crushes it as you would expect. So that, I mean, for performance alone, it's it's worth it. Uh, as you mentioned, she plays world-renowned conductor currently at the Berlin Philharmonic. Throwback. Um. And so it basically just follows her and what her life is like and life sort of in that world. And the whole first act, there's a lot of talk and shop and just like eavesdropping on scenes where she's talking about that world. And you just have to kind of keep up because you're not going to get all the references, obviously, unless you conduct a philharmonic. Uh, And it's a great... I love that type of thing. I love getting sucked into that world. And, you know, it... It starts a little slow. Like some people are gonna feel like this movie is slow. It's over two and a half hours, uh, but once you get an hour and a half in, and you like fully know this character, the world she lives in, 
the side characters around her and then sort of the the real crux of the story begins like you are invested uh and i just i can't stress enough how fantastic it is it is cinema with a capital c it has aj it has full opening credits like it's the 1950s like they do all the opening all the credits in the open like full-blown like they used to do back in the day like it is classic tons of buzz on twitter about this movie because and this isn't a spoiler right this is a piece of fiction lydia tar is not a real person there are people on twitter who are like i just got into like a 30 minute conversation with my husband or my partner after this film and google this woman because i thought it was a, a, a an amazingly done biopic but the fact that it's a piece of fiction that is treated like a a, a, a biopic is one of the craziest things I've ever experienced. And there's millions of posts about this. That's true. Because I remember when I, I don't watch trailers, right? So I had seen a poster and I was like, oh, Kate Blanchett, she's holding a baton. She's conducting. This looks like a cool movie. And then I read, I think I read that IMDb synopsis and it mentions where we're now conductor, Lydia Tarr. And I was like, oh, this must be a biopic. Like fascinating. And the opening scene of the movie is her being interviewed on NPR and so the NPR person like runs down all of her credentials and they it's sounds completely legit like they play this movie so straight that like you do you could imagine it being real like that's how great the writing is great the acting is great the story is like this will be nominated for every award there is um particularly it's going to get nominated for best picture best actress uh sound direction should get nominated as well because there's lots of sequences of the orchestra and the actual conducting of the orchestra which are fantastic um so yeah i don't want to say too too much about it because again following the narrative and following her life is is the joy of it and kind of seeing where it goes but uh if you have the patience for a two and a half hour uh sort of straightforward biopic that's not real essentially uh definitely 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 watch it it is outstanding my only last question I have for you, because I'm really excited to see this, when we talk about f- films that have to do with the world of music or sound or whatever, we talk about like, can I watch it in the comfort of my own home? Or is it something in this experience where like I need to be immersed in a theater with an amazing sound system? Granted that this is a, a biopic that just has the idea of being a conductor as one of the components to it. Like, is being in a, a situation that has a full immersive sound experience necessary to get everything out of this film? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. Uh, it is an element of the film, but it is not something like a whiplash where, like, the climax of the movie is a musical performance. Like, it's not like that. So I wouldn't say that that's a need. Uh, but that being said... Obviously, there is there are some musical sequences, so having the having some good sound definitely comes into play. Uh, but that is not the, the not the uh, the focal point of the film. It's really about her her life, Kate uh, Blanchett's performance. She learned how to conduct. She learned how to play instruments. She learned German because she's conducting the the Berlin Philharmonic, so she has to go in and out of English and German. And like it's so naturalistic because she's so good. Like it's mind blowing. I love that. Um, there's one other thing before we go on to our next and last review. Speaking of Whiplash, on our last episode, Bill and I talked about the fact that we we're going to go see Whiplash live in concert. The unfortunate update beyond the, uh, about that is that that event got canceled. What? R.I.P. Yeah. yeah. like A couple days, days before, before yeah. I get an email that says from Live Nation saying your event's been canceled. 
No reschedule, no nothing. It just said you're being refunded. That's it. Goodbye. Dog. That yeah. sucks. Truly devastating. I try to search on the news to see if there was a reason. Maybe someone was sick. Maybe something happened. But like, I, I literally couldn't find anything. It just says the show's canceled. Damn. Yeah. Kicking been, the balls. Big time. I've been going on uh, Reddit. I've been kind of searching everywhere. And um, no, no clue. I can't, I can't no clue. Anything. Months, months of anticipation. Just down the drain. Hopefully, yeah. we'll, we'll see something somewhere where it'll, they'll do it again or it'll come back or whatever. But I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, I'm outraged. Uh, yeah. Yes. Uh, you should be. I mean, we were. It was a very emotional group chat um, that went from sadness, all to the stages anger, agree. Back to sadness. It was basically just like, yeah, all of them. Denial. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Substance abuse. Okay. Uh, the second movie uh, is All Quiet on the Western Front, or the original title in German is Im Westen Nix Nuss. Uh, it is. Uh, Big German energy on this week's pod. Yeah, for sure. I gotta get in Danka. Um, I gotta get into my the, the mindset of being in Berlin next week. Okay, so according to IMDb.com, a young German soldier's terrifying experiences and distress on the Western Front during World War One, uh, based on the book of the same name, I believe. Bill, should I go see it? I gave this one a no. Uh, <sighs> so. That's such a which well thing. allow me to explain it's it's a tough one because uh, if this had come out a couple of years ago it would have been like a revelation but it's one of those things where this movie doesn't really say anything more than 1917 does and 1917 did it in 90 minutes and with a fresh take stylistically versus this is almost three hours long and it's more traditionally made and it's just covering kind of the same territory. So like it's, can, it's can hard I ask to you, it's hard to like yeah go ahead show versus tell though right you said it doesn't sh- it doesn't I, I believe you said tell it doesn't tell us a different story or a different take on this right but does it show us things about the horrors of war that we haven't seen before not particularly like it has it has a great opening sequence that is also in one take weirdly uh, and then it gets into normal making and like it is brutal violence there's one sequence that was difficult to watch it it covers the horrors of trench warfare gas tanks planes so like yes it it does show the horrors of war but i've also seen all those horrors in other movies as well so it's like sure i just feel i don't know i'm 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 looking forward to this i just haven't had like it's almost three hours dedicated to watch watching this I feel as though like if 1917 didn't exist or like you could separate that from your mind, you might have a different perspective on this movie. That's fair. That's totally fair. I it, it I would probably have given it a yes if it was the first modernized, from a filmmaking perspective, modernized World War One movie I'd seen, but it isn't. So it makes it, if I got to if you're picking one or the other, if I'm going to give a yes to one or the other, it's going to be 1917. And to both, I, I don't know that the difficulty of the viewing experience, I feel like that that difficulty outweighs the overall benefits of the storytelling. The pacing is also a little odd. It goes on longer than you think it should. Like it's reaching a natural conclusion and then and then all of a sudden it keeps going for another 40 minutes. And once you know why, narratively it makes sense. But in the moment, I was like starting to reach for the remote thinking we're done. And then I look and there's another 45 minutes and I was like, oh, okay. Um, so it's tough. I read the book in seventh grade or whatever. Um, I don't remember it that well, but it's a classic novel. 
So it's a good story. It's brilliantly acted, like the strong craftsmanship. Like it will probably get nominated for some awards. Like it's one of those times where, uh, you know, usually when I say it's a yes because it's either original or well done, it is definitely well done. Uh, but I still just feel like it's not, it's not necessarily enough to to tell to everybody sit down and watch this two hours and forty five minutes of brutal World War One trench warfare. Like it's just. I don't, I don't see as much value in it. Uh, also, as a heads up for some people that care about this, uh, it is completely subtitled. It's in German and French. There is no English, as you might imagine. Love that. Um, one last question. That was the same question that I just asked you about uh, Tar. Is that this is a direct-to-Netflix f- direct release, right? This is direct-to-Netflix. Tar is in theaters. But so normally when I think of grand scale war movies i'm talking sound explosions tanks whatever did we do a disservice to the film by not having it do a a limited theatrical release to get the full experience of being in war yeah oh for sure for sure i i I wonder too if if maybe seeing in theaters would have modified my take on maybe that would have been enough of the edge for like the experience to push it to a yes Uh, but i watched it at home and granted i have a good system so like it was still pretty engaging in that way but it's not the same thing as being in a theater. So I do think to have a, you know, releasing rom-coms and, and dramas direct to Netflix is fine, like by all means. But like a war movie feels like a weird choice to, to put directly to television screens when most people are going to watch it on their fucking phone or laptop. So you're saying we should rent out we should rent out a screen and we should watch Prey and then this movie on on a big yes, screen. Exactly. Exactly. Fuck that would yeah. do them a much better service than what has happened. All right, Bill, onto our last segment, Netflix and Bill. Uh, what are you watching on TV there, bud? Uh, well, a couple shows ended recently that I think we need to talk about. House of Dragon. House of Dragon had its season one finale. Uh, the show will not return until at least 2024, according to HBO. They have confirmed that it will take all of 2023 to, to make it, uh, make season two. But season one, uh, what'd you think? You know what? I'm actually going to kick this over to our resident Game of Thrones uh, expert and uh, hater and lover of the same time, Craig Stanton. Craig, as a person who is very skeptical going into this new season of Thrones, you've read a few of the books, you are heavily invested in the original series. What do you rate it? What do you got? Oh, I enjoyed it. I'll, I'll, I don't know what I'll rate it, but I, I'll definitely say I enjoyed it. I had some, I had some qualms. But like every time I was about to be like, all right, forget this. It brought me back in a big way. Sometimes within, I mean, in fact, oftentimes within one episode, I'll be like, this is, I can't with, this is, I'm like about to push away from the table. And I'm like, oh boy, (laughs) oh boy, (laughs) am I back? I think we share the same sentiment. So uh, episode seven is one of the worst and also best episodes of television that's ever been produced in the entire world. And I don't I don't know how they did it. Real roller like, coaster. Yeah. And Bill let me know. So episode seven is the one where they have the basically the wake, the funeral um, is the, the, the premise of it. Right. Is that. 99% is what we call a uh, day for night shooting is that they basically shot it in the middle of the day and then edited it in post to make sure it looked like it was night. And it's the most jarring thing you'll ever experience in your entire life. Hated every minute of it. The second thing that Bill explained is that uh, that was one of the first times that everyone was on set in their characters together in the same room. Um, so the idea of them working through their characters and understanding who they are and how they acted and what they thought, um, that was actually the first time they they 
shot a portion of that. Um, yeah, I season. got I got that intel from Craig, I think, because he watches the inside the episodes and I do not. I do. And actually, the inside the episodes are funny because it's and Bill and I have discussed this off the program. It's those inside the episode things that play after the episodes are funny because a lot of times they will just tell you what they were trying to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, even if the show itself did not do a good job of telling that story, they just come out and say it in English to like dummies like me. So it's sort of, it's, it's, it makes it I, in some ways better, in some ways worse. Cause like, I think Bill, correct me if I'm wrong, you don't watch those because that's exactly what you don't want is like some, you just want the show to be the show and your analysis here is, is your analysis. You don't want anybody to like explain it to you. Um, I find them kind of interesting and I, I usually just am laughing at the fact that they're like, well, what we were trying to say here is that this person is mad at this person. I'm like, what? <laughs> you didn't do that at all. Like if you, if yeah. you had done that successfully, you would be talking about something else right now. Yep. yep. Um, but anyways, yes, I, it was in that thing that they said that that scene was the first time. And it kind of makes sense because I think it might have been the, one of the only scenes, at least that I can think of, that pretty much every single named character was actually in the same place in the story. Um, and so they, they were, it sounded to me like they were basically making an excuse for that scene kind of being sort of rough. Um, they were like, oh, fun fact <laughs> is that this was the first thing we shot of the entire show, period, for everyone. It's like. Wild. So you know, take that for what you will. Give basically saying like, give us a break. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it was our maiden voyage for the, for every single person on and off you know screen. I mean, I would say for me the the episodes eight, nine, ten, those last three, I thought was when they really hit their stride. And to me, it beca- it became like this is like Thrones. Like this is the feeling I'm getting every Sunday yeah. night, strapping in and having that music come on. I'm like amped. And so this past Sunday night when it was not on, I didn't know what to do with my life. And it was incredibly depressing. Oh, v- vacuous hole in my soul <laughs> every Sunday. <laughs> so, yeah. So I think uh, overall, yeah, bumpy for sure. Bumpy intro. But I think overall, this spinoff show that I was very skeptical of is has been has made me a believer. I think it's a success. I think they've definitely figured it out. Yeah, they definitely did enough. They did. They did m- enough to keep me coming back anyways. Um, speaking of another prequel show, you are far ahead of me in this, but I also, I just started watching on the plane right back is, uh, Andor on Disney plus, um, Bill, you've always been the guy that said, I don't care about prequels because I know what ends up happening, but for both Thrones and, Andor, you're, you're, you're in love. You got hard eyes. I'm in. I mean, I know these both have like changed my perception a little bit, but the difference I feel like for these at least is both of them take place with a large span of time between these shows and what we know to happen versus most prequel movies are like leading directly into the movie that we know. Uh, and they like end with the movie we know beginning essentially. These, there's like years and years between them. So they have a lot of runway to like do whatever they want. And so uh, House of Dragon has hundreds of years. Andor I think is supposed to be like five to six years before Rogue One, if I remember correctly. So there's still a lot of runway there. And Andor, uh, I just watched episode nine. I believe this season is going to have 12, if I remember correctly. And uh, it's been great. Ever since episode four onward, I am like, they got me hook, line, and sinker into Andor because it almost feels like Thrones. Like they have so many storylines that they're juggling and the storytelling between them and the intercutting between them is so great compared to most 
Star Wars stories is like a storyline. You're just following Luke or whatever, and that's it. And this feels so much more sophisticated. And there's so many more perspectives because they're showing the Empire as human beings and like what the Empire is doing. And you get that side of it, which you'd never get before. And, and there's no sign of a Skywalker as far as the eye can see. So like I am in on Andor big time, and uh, I hope you get there as well. Episode four on, I feel like, is when they finally figure out their... You know, I, I give I give Kathleen Kennedy a lot of shit on this podcast. There's one thing that I friend of the show, friend of the show, Kathleen Kennedy, <laughs> not to be mistaken with um, what was her name? Uh, uh, Kelly Cucumber. Oh, Barbara Broccoli. Bar- 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 Barbara Broccoli. Bar- Barbara yep. Broccoli. Uh, yep. Um, is the house style for shooting Star Wars um, is great. Like, I think Rogue One, the way Rogue One was shot, I think. Dave Filoni and um, John Favreau were like, we really like the way that was shot, and we're going to bring it into the Mandalorian, and then then that went to the Book of Boba Fett, and now you see it in Andor, and there's just a, a visual style that they've been able to bring in that is so much less like uh, on the nose. It's subtle. It's emotional. It's like just really well grounded versus like the pomp and circumstance that you've seen from all of the major Star Wars pictures in the the three different trilogies. So I I definitely appreciate that about Andor and then all these shows. And we're gonna talk about like what we're watching next. But um, speaking of Mandalorian, um, they've announced the new season should be out fairly soon. I think before Christmas, I believe. Oh really? Yeah. That's quick. Okay. Uh, what else have you been watching? <clears throat> Two things I'll, I'll throw out there too. I finished the, the Patient with Steve Carell. Okay, that was a Hulu original. It's a nine episode, maybe ten uh, mini series. They're about a half hour each. I think I mentioned it when it first started. I finished it. It was good. The first three episodes definitely like pull you in and keep you going. Um, and the ending's pretty good. There's definitely a, a lull in the middle where the episodes kind of feel like they're just playing out the concept a little bit extra long. Like they could have told this same story in six episodes easily. So to make it 10, uh, it kind of dragged a little bit. But Steve Carell gives a great dramatic performance, which is always uh, fun to watch. And uh, and it's well done. I mean, it's, it's good. It's from the same it's from the same showrunners as the Americans, which is one of my favorite television shows, probably the second favorite television show of all time. So uh, so good pedigree there. So uh, might be worth a watch if you're interested. Yeah, and Steve uh, Steve's doing two for two on television after The Office. So not only this show, but he was in the first two seasons of The Morning Show on Apple TV. And he was one of the best parts, the best part of season one. And then he had an integral part of season two. Fucking crushed it. Um, so good for you, Steve. Uh, and then I watched, I started watching The Peripheral, which is a new Amazon show. It's a sci-fi show with Chloe Mortez. It's produced by Jonathan Nolan, who does Westworld. It's a sci-fi thing based on a novel. I got into like the middle of episode three or four, and I bailed. So this is a this is a warning to people. Like it's a should I go see it? No, to the peripheral on Amazon. It's just not that good. It's like Chloe Mortez doing like a Southern accent for whatever reason. Uh, it doesn't really fit her, and the storytelling is like too puzzle boxy. Like, it's really leaning into the puzzle box element to the point where every scene you're like, what the fuck is actually happening? Like, they just don't, they don't have a way to weave in exposition in a natural way. Like you see in well-written sci-fi, like Inception or something like that. It's just, it's just, you just have no idea what's happening basically. And it's just not that, and it's not even that visually interesting. Like there's another 
world that they go into virtually, whatever. And it basically just looks like our world, except there's more statues, giant statues in the skyline. Like there's like, it's not even doing that much of the concept that it has. So it didn't do it for me. So I would say skip the peripheral. Okay. Uh, the only other thing that I've been watching is Welcome to Wrexham, the documentary on FX and now Hulu about uh, the football club in Wales that Ryan Reynolds and Rob uh, McElhinney of Always Sunny bought in 2020. And this is a true story, right? Fucking awesome. True story. Bill, I'm telling you, and like I know we were talking about the Ryan Reynolds train of being off and how he's over the top, and we're going to talk about uh, coming up with a Ryan Reynolds thing that I'm, I'm excited to see. Um it was just really well done and they do a really good job for the non like football fans, soccer fans of the world of explaining how the English soccer system works, how that compares to sports in the United States. And that does a really good job of bouncing back and forth between like Rob and Ryan's point of view, the things that are going on in the club and then the club's impact on, uh, on the town and the economy. And they have vignettes of people that are like lifetime fans, bar owners, ex-players, people who got traded, and they kind of like weave everything uh, together in, a, in an awesome way. Each episode's 19 minutes. There's there's close to 20 episodes in the season. Um, it's fucking great. It's amazing. It's hilarious. Um, so if you like either watching Ryan or Rob from Always Sunny or like sports or soccer or a good documentary, go for it. I think I will. I mean, once and or ends... Uh, I really don't have any shows that are airing like live anymore. Uh, basically, everything's over. So uh, I'll definitely have some space for that, I think. Uh, all right. On the horizon, let's wrap this up quick. What are, you, uh, what are you looking forward to? I have tickets in place for Wakanda Forever, uh, The Menu, and Glass Onion, which I think I mentioned last time. So I have tickets for all three of those in the coming weeks. How about you? It's my favorite time of the year. We're out of Halloween. We're officially in Christmas mode. You're giving me shit. I know. I'm already listening to Charlie Brown Christmas. Christmas mode. Christmas. So Christmas no longer is the month of the month of December. It is from November 1st till Christmas. So Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell have a movie coming out on Apple TV called Spirited. It's a, a new another new take on uh Charles Dickens classic uh, story and it's a musical which should be interesting to watch um, the Santa Claus series uh, with Tim Allen <laughs> is coming out on Disney Plus I'm fucking excited about oh that um, yeah and then getting my normal thing Die Hard I'm up it's Christmas oh my God. Elf National is- Christmas Vacation For, okay a couple things first of all my wife oh, also my wife's a huge Hallmark movie uh, Christmas movie fan and I'll just sit on the couch and drink a half a bottle of bourbon and I'll just talk in her ear the entire time about how stupid these fucking movies are and that also gives me excitement because it brings you I joy enjoy this oh it brings me so much joy uh, two things one uh, Die Hard is not a Christmas movie and then second do we really need another Christmas Carol like how many times are we going to tell this goddamn story like we talk about no ideas in Hollywood. Jesus Christ, fucking, we're doing Christmas well, Carol the again. Christmas Carol is the is the best version of that, and then followed. It's a per- perfect film. Fo- perfect film, and then followed quickly by Scrooge, uh, Bill Murray's take on that. Yeah, Scrooge is all right. Scrooge is fine. I, okay. I give you that so, one. But another one. Uh, Ryan another Reynolds one. Will Ferrell musical might be fucking amazing. I don't know. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Don't yuck. Don't yuck the yum before it's on the plate. Die Hard, not a Christmas movie. Maybe we bring that up. That's a debate for another episode. A full episode potentially. <laughs> You know, a lot of people have texted me is that we've 
or have let me know that that episode that we did about our favorite Christmas movies where it was like the end of the night and I was like violently <laughs> drunk. Uh, they would love another a retake on that. So maybe we'll do a maybe we'll do a revisited Christmas bonus episode. Bonus episode? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. we haven't and done a bonus episode this entire season. As long as I can talk about why Die Hard's not a Christmas movie, I will I'll be there with bells on. Yeah, we haven't done an episode with the with the clinking of ice in the, in, in the background. Yeah, in a while. <laughs> in the glass. Folks, if you want to if you want us to do a bonus episode, slide into the DMs, let us know. Um, and I think Bill that that does it for uh, this week's episode. Fantastic. Thank you for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It and purchase some merch at shouldigosee it.redbubble.com. <laughs>